0: Anybody ready for Christmas to be over yet? Few of you, yeah. It's crazy. You know, we've kind of turned Jesus' birthday into a little bit of a fiasco. But, uh, you know, with all the tra- traffic that's ridiculous, I mean, it's it doesn't matter when you go into Springfield now. It's just nonstop, wall-to-wall cars. It feels like I just ran in to get food the other night, and it was like, I'm never going to get out of here. Like, I'm trapped. It was just the worst. And, and that's why some of you probably don't really love the holiday season it gets you a little bit grumpy because you got to deal with all the extra nonsense that's going on and then looking at the weather forecast this morning we're gonna get some lovely snow and coupled with the craziness and the snow some of you are about ready to go full-on Grinch and some of the rest of us are like it's so wonderful and magical and that just frustrates you even more that we love it but that's um you know that's just how it is you know and, you know, as much as this time of year is supposed to be magical, and, and I think we know what it's supposed to be about, you know, spending time with people, you know, or or even, you know, there's talk of Christmas bringing out the best in humanity, but, you know, part of what makes this time of year so hard is all the people that you've got to deal with, whether that is the people that you're going to bump into when you go to the store and, and you run into them and they're, you know trying to shop, and it's kind of everyone takes on this survival of the fittest mentality for whatever reason around Christmas. You know, this time of joy and selflessness and giving turns into this like war to I'm going to get my stuff before you get your stuff, and I'm going to get in the line. I'm going to get that parking spot and all that stuff, and it just gets crazy. Um, I remember one year, I think it was right maybe the year or two years after I graduated high school, I was in college Still living at home with mom and dad, going to the community college, and I am so excited for Christmas. I've always loved it, look forward to it. But that was like one of the first years I actually was like spending my own money. Like I had a job, a steady job. I had I could figure out what I wanted to buy for people. And I, you know, I so my girlfriend at the time and myself, we drove into Evansville, Indiana. That was like the closest place with the big mall. And so I was so pumped. Man, I just woke up with that, that morning, like, oh, it's Christmas. The mall, they're gonna have Christmas music playing and everything. I'll bet it's all decorated. Well, I love Christmas. I was so excited. And so we get to the mall, and like you would expect, the parking lot is crazy full. Um, you know how you most people we have that like one store that like at the mall we go to a lot. We know there's always that one store where there's always a close parking spot. Like I had that store, I drove around to the back of the mall for that store. Lots full all the way to the back. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be trouble. And there were like spots like way, way out, like two mile walk, you know, at the end of the parking lot kind of stuff. But it's like, oh, surely there's going to be something somewhat closer. And I drove around for like 10 minutes and I'm starting to get really frustrated and a little deflated because, you know, I came in like, oh, I'm so excited for this. And so I'm driving around and no, we're never going to find a spot. I'm to have to park way out there and that's how I saw my perfect Christmas shopping day going, and so we we were driving around, and it was my last pass before I decided to go park in the waybacks, and somebody was getting was backing out of a parking spot where I in the in the row I was in, and it was front row, first parking spot, not handicapped, right in front of the main mall entrance. You know, light from heaven shines down. Oh, ah, you know, that's what I thought. It's like oh, here we go. God has shown favor on me because I love his son's birthday. He's being good to me. And so the car's backing out. I get here, click my turn signal on, waiting for my spot. And as this car pulls that, backs out, before they even pulled away, another car comes in super fast, goes, boop, boop, pulls the U-E, going the wrong way, and steals my spot. (laughs) Like, you know those moments where it's like, I, I went from, like, zero to as mad as I could ever be in, like, a, an instant, and I didn't even see it coming, and part of the fact is that I had my expectations for the day so high, and it was like, I just stole my spot, and I was, I was so incredibly mad. Part of it was that I was younger, and I don't think my brain had fully stopped developing yet, and I just didn't have control over all that parts of my emotions, but, I mean, I was mad, and I stayed mad the whole day. I... Every, I scowled at every person I saw in that mall, because every one of them was a potential suspect for that parking spot stealer, and I wanted to make sure that I scowled at them at least one point when I walked through that mall. I was so incredibly mad, and, and that's why some of you, you have stories like that, or that's just how you picture Going out anywhere this time of year, being and so you think I hate this time of year. I don't want anything to do with it because Christmas, the holidays, only bring out the worst in people, and I just don't want to deal with any of that. Now, maybe that's what it is for you, but sometimes it's it's not just the people, the generic people that we encounter. Sometimes the problem with your holidays is the people closest to you, and I've spent a couple of years now working to edit. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, so that my children can watch it. And every time I think I'm done, I discover another inappropriate thing that I missed, and I have to say, go back and cut it out too. It's going to be like an eight-minute short by the time I'm done with this thing, right? But it's going to be good, and they're going to like it. And so, but it's one of those, like, you just watch that movie, and it is just a, a great picture of the dysfunction of those closest to you. And sometimes that's what the holidays remind you of. And it's not just like, oh, we get to spend time with the people you love. Maybe it's the fact that you're not spending time with certain people because there's friction There's hostility. There's a broken relationship that exists with those people that are supposed to be the closest people in your life because not every family is perfect. Not everything looks like a Hallmark card. Some relationships are messy and people are broken and flawed. And somewhere along the way something happened and you just don't enjoy seeing that person anymore and they don't enjoy seeing you anymore. It could be uh, something like a divorce, where you have to see them because your kid's there, but the kid feels pulled both ways, and just trying to figure out all the logistics, you know it's hostile, you know it's, there's, there's unpleasantries there, and it just makes it more painful than you hoped it would be when you looked forward to how your life was going to be. Maybe it's some disagreement you got into with a family member, and it was so long ago, you don't really even remember what it was, if you're being honest, but you're sure it was probably their fault. Right? It wasn't your fault. It was probably their fault, even though you don't quite know how it's gone down. You just know that you're mad and they're mad, and that's just how it's going to stay until somebody apologizes. But rather than thinking of Christmas and this time of year as this magical thing where you spend time with all the people you love, maybe for some of you and some of us, it's just this highlight of the brokenness that exists among the people in our lives. And you don't see the joy of it anymore because there's just too much hurt. Well, as we travel, or as we talk about this series, Traveling Light, and as we continue it today, what we've been talking about is holding on to the things that were only absolutely necessary and letting go of the rest, and so today what I want to talk to you about is our perspective on relationships and the brokenness that often exists between, between people. And again, it could be... Between loved ones, people close to you, or it could just be the brokenness you're going to have to encounter when you're going to Target and Best Buy trying to you know, get people checked off your shopping list this year. But the disagreements and the broken relationships are inevitable because people are the worst. I hope you figured that out by now. People are just awful. Everybody's awful. I saw this awesome Christmas mug the other day. It had Santa going like this, and, he sa- and it said, you're all, you've all been naughty, and I was, and it had like the, you know, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God on the verse. I was like, I want that mug. I love that's a gr- that's a great mug right there because I'm all like chipper about Christmas. I think that was a good irony for me. But but that but I mean really, everybody's the worst, and not to say that as a downer, but you know you. I've said this many times, if I could take the worst moment of your life or even the worst thoughts you've ever had, because your thoughts are worse than anything you've ever done, if we could take those worst moments or the worst thoughts you've ever had and put them up here on the screen for everybody to see, you would run out of here embarrassed and you'd probably move. Because you'd just be ashamed of people seeing the darkness that lives within you. And that's just true of all of us. There's a level of something inside of us. We call it sin. The Bible, another word for it is our sinful flesh. Those sinful desires and cravings we have to do, not what's honoring to God, not what's good for other people, but really just what's good for us, for ourselves. And so when everybody has this sinful nature and we all kind of have it kind of drawing us to do bad things and, and disregard other people, there's gonna be a lot of brokenness in the world. There's bound to be conflict. And when it comes to things like conflict, there's there's a couple different ways people handle it. Some of you people you love conflict. You're not scared of it at all. And you people terrify me. Because I mean any 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 opportunity, you see you see any sort of friction with people are like, "Oh, I'm putting on my boxing gloves. We're about to go. This is awesome. I'm looking forward to this. It's been a while since I got my blood pressure up. All right, let's do this." And you're ready to throw down with people. And you want to and and the thing that scares me is because you look at every situation that, where there's conflict as an opportunity to win, to defeat your opponent, to win the argument, to walk away victorious. And the reason that scares me is because every little conflict that happens, I don't want to get destroyed. Like, I'm not looking for that in my everyday life like some people are, but some people thrive on it. Some people, they look forward to, to the, the, the moment when they can, like, you know, voice their opinions and, and show that they are right and, and aggressively share their wisdom with the people around them. You know, and, and some of you, you find it very natural to chew people out. It's like, a maybe not as much, maybe you know people that it's very natural, but it's very natural to chew people out, and, and the location doesn't matter. You don't care if it's public. I mean, you don't care if you're going to embarrass everybody at this kid's birthday party. It's time to go, right? That's just how some people are. They love conflict. And then there's my people, the people that are scared of conflict, that shy away from conflict. That, that we don't see every every disagreement as an opportunity to win we see it as an opportunity to lose How can I how can I make this go away? What can I do? How can I apologize? what can I say what can I give up? how can I do what can I do how can I bend over backwards to make this awkward moment just absolutely totally go away That's how I want to handle conflict I'll just lose that's fine if we're gonna fight nope that's the problem I'll just you're, you're right I went you're good I'll just lay down and take it you know that's how I how I kind of handle conflict. And then there's the other way that we like to handle conflict, which is just ignore it completely and pretend it doesn't exist. It's like, I won't talk about it, and you don't talk about it. You may hate me, and I may hate you, but as long as nobody brings it up, we're going to get through this Christmas gathering, and it's not going to be awkward for anybody. We just won't look at each other. We just won't talk to each other. We can mingle in the same room, but as long as nobody mentions it, we can just sweep it under the rug. And that usually works really well, at first, until the pressure boils. But it doesn't matter how we handle conflict, whether it is whether you're a conflict lover or a conflict-averse person, such as myself, when it comes to looking at how God handles things like this, the brokenness of relationships and the, and the struggle that exists between human beings, there's a different way he calls his followers to handle that. And it's not loving it, and it's not hating it. It's a different path, a newer path, a better path that reflects his nature, and his glory, and his honor. And it's how we, as human beings, should live. Because if you look back at Genesis, one of the reasons humans were created is that we were created in his image, which meant we were meant, our purpose in the world is to reflect the good qualities of God, to reflect his nature and glory to the world. And There is a way that we can handle conflict that does that. In Jesus' most famous sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he starts this sermon with nine little, tiny, almost like fortune cookie type phrases. We call them the Beatitudes. And they are all kind of stating, here's how Christians should live. If you guys want to know how to reflect God's glory, to be like God, here's how you can do it. And the seventh one of those Beatitudes is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, when Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. So if you're a Christian, if you say, yeah, I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, then you are called to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who works to maintain peace and bring peace at all times. And this is a, these, the thing about the Beatitudes is they're really nice verses. They, they all sound really good. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah that's great. They sound just such nice little sweet verses that, of course, I believe that stuff. And, but when we get to this one, it's like, yeah, of course, I believe that. Except the fact that we don't live this at all. Very few people are peacemakers. We're either fighters or runners, Fight or flight, that's our, those are the two reactions that are built into our physiology, it seems like, to handle things like conflict. And so when it comes to being a peacemaker, it's honestly a different thing, and we're going to kind of break it down and see what it means. But very few of us are people who actively work to live a peaceable life and maintain peace where we see conflict, working to bring peace where we see conflict. And I think part of that's because anymore we just live in a conflict-heavy, abrasive society, there's conflict everywhere. You turn on the news, it's conflict. You flip channels, it's conflict. You go to work, conflict. You go to the store, conflict. Everybody, there's just conflict everywhere. And so what we've kind of done in our modern day society is we've just kind of, anybody that's dis- different than me, anybody where there's potential conflict, I just, we'll just cut them right out of my life. Republicans listen to Republicans. Democrats listen to Democrats. Conservatives listen to conservatives. Christians listen to Christians. Muslims listen to Muslims. Everybody kind of cuts themselves off from everybody who's different than them, and we only listen to people who fit in our group that we agree with. And everybody else out there, they're the devil. They're the enemy. We don't want anything to do with them. Sure, there's conflict. Sure, there's places where we disagree, but I ain't going to go approach them because you know what? I'd rather not ever talk to that person. I'm fine with them being cut off. I'm fine with there not being peace between us. That's just kind of the mentality our world has taken on pretty much any major topic, political, moral, religious, or otherwise. And so we're really okay with cutting people off out of our lives, with not having peace with various people. And sometimes it's even gotten to the point where you've got such rifts in your family that you're like, you know what, I'm kind of fine with never seeing my brother again. I never really liked his face anyway. He used to beat me up when I was younger. Now I don't have to deal with it. Fine, I'm fine with that. So that's, and so we've kind of become much more okay with conflict existing in and around our lives. But when we come to these verses, they might sound nice on a coffee cup. They might be sweet. They might be something. we actually have an ornament on our tree. a little metal it says peace. It's like, "Oh yeah, peace for Christmas, gonna hang that on the tree." But what does it mean to be people who actively and and earnestly desire peace in their life, peace in their relationships? And the reason why we are called to be peacemakers as Christians, because we are called to reflect the nature and image of our God. And God himself is a peacemaker. And the greatest example of that, the peace and the restoration and the reconciliation of relationships that God wants to bring about is in our relationship with him sin breaks our relationship with god we just saw that in the video we watched before the sermon sin breaks it severs the relationship it prevents god from having an intimate relationship with us because we've chosen everything opposite of him and in those moments when that relationship is broken that's when god sent jesus to reconcile all things in colossians chapter 1 19 through 22 this is, it says for in him in jesus all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell, So God came into our world as Jesus, and through him to reconcile, fix, repair, knit back together, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Peace by the blood of his cross. And since he's done that, you... And me, and you, who were once alienated, separated because of the sin, and hostile in mind, doing evil things. He now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus was sent as an agent of reconciliation. God stepped into our world because he saw our relationship with him was broken, and he wanted to repair it. Now, now in this situation, in the relationship between us and God, who's wrong? Us. Yeah, don't say God. That's bad. Okay. You don't even have to become, come to church very often to know. I'm probably not going to say God's wrong, right? Okay. But we're the ones who are wrong. But who's the one that tried to fix it? God. You see, that's not how we usually look at conflict. They broke it. They can fix it. They said it. They can apologize for it. They did it, they can come back crawling and pleading and begging for my forgiveness. It's on them. But God did something different. He saw a brokenness that was not his fault, was not his responsibility, and he reached out to repair that because peace is in his nature. Our relationship with him was broken. We were the ones who broke it, and he came to fix it. Anytime there is a broken relationship, whether it is between two people or between a person and God, it is because sin has done something in that relationship sin is just like a wrecking ball it destroys that's why god hates it so much it destroys and relational conflict is evidence that the world is not as god intended it that something is wrong the fact that humans fight so much and we are are is terrible to one another as we are, that is evidence that God's will is not being done in my life, in your life, in the world around us. We are not living as God wants us to live. And so peace gives God glory because it reflects God's heart to see all things restored and reconciled to him. And relational conflict, just it just doesn't give him glory because it doesn't reflect his goodness and his nature and his plan for you. And the most common cause of this relational problem, hiccup, is our, our, our preoccupation with our own glory. We're, we're thinking about ourselves. It's, it's, excuse me, because we're only worried about what we want. We only care about how we look in certain situations. And I would bet that every conflict you've ever been involved in, at the root of it, is some sort of sinful selfishness. And you might say, well, Anthony, it's a little com- more complicated than that, and there's a lot going on, and you know, it's a long, complicated history. Yeah, I know that. And, and sometimes the story of how you don't talk with somebody anymore, it can feel like that knotted ball of Christmas lights that you'll never get untangled. But if you were able to kind of get back and, and get back to the heart of what really happened between you and them, it was probably selfishness on your part or theirs. That's almost always the cause of this relational problem. That's why in James, James is the the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote a letter to Christians, and he says this. He kind of calls them out, and he calls us out. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Meaning, your your selfish desires, the the, the cravings that you have to do what you want to do, aren't those things causing you guys to fight and bicker and hate each other? He says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain So you fight and quarrel. The source of all the conflict in our life, the relational conflict, is selfishness. Excuse me again, again, either yours or somebody else's. And we say, "I want something, and if I have to hurt you to get it, so be it. If I have to cheat somebody to get it, so be it. Or you hurt me, and I'll just hurt you back to make me feel better. I'll hurt you bigger. You know, don't get mad, get even." I'll just wait, and I'll act like it's nice, and then I'll hammer you like two years down the road with something else. I'm going to hold that grudge until I can take it out on you again. And so we kind of, we we live this life, we invite this selfishness and this strife into our relationships, and again, in our modern world, I think we've become okay with it. And if there are, again, broken relationships in your life, I, I really do believe that at the heart of it all is selfishness, the sinful desires fighting within you. And you might even feel your heart beating a little faster. You might, start, you're, you might be thinking of the situation right now, and you can just feel your blood pressure starting to climb, and your fists are starting to clench under the pews so I can't see it. And you're fidgeting, and you're ready to say, okay, okay Anthony, now let me tell you my story. Because you know, you're going to call off being a peacemaker if I could just tell you my story and what they did to me. And I, That's all fine and well. But, but I can't deny the fact that even if you feel justified in maintaining that conflict and, and cutting that person off, I can't deny the fact that being a peacemaker is what brings glory to God, is what reflects his likeness to the world. And as Christians, that's what we are called to do. Now, each week of this series, what I've talked about is something we need to let go of. Hold on to the, the things that are important and let go of the rest. We talked about letting go of busyness. We talked about letting go of distractions. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, someone who doesn't want to carry the weight of brokenness and conflict through your life, then I'll tell you the thing you gotta let go of. It's yourself. Because the thing that gets between you and others is you. Your pride, your concern for yourself, your you're worrying about whether or not you got your fair shake or something like that. It is, you know, I think it's easy to see this stuff play out in smaller kids. Because as adults, I don't honestly think we change a whole lot. We just get better at hiding it. I think we'd throw a lot more fits if it was culturally acceptable as adults. I mean, but you watch my kids, they, I mean, I mean they might as well be lawyers. They are so concerned with what is right, what is fair. He had, he had the Nintendo Switch for 45 minutes and I only had it for 35. And they look at me like I should be so concerned and I'm just like, I don't care. You know, I just, I'm so tired about all the, I don't care anymore, I don't care you know, but they're, but they're like so convinced. What's fair for me? They didn't, he pushed me, so I hit him. So I'm not in trouble for hitting him because he pushed me first. Like everything's about my concern. And honestly, we still look at the world that way when we get older, we're just better at hiding it. It's all this selfish. How does this affect me? You wronged me? Fine. And so since you did something wrong to me, I feel justified in doing something wrong to you. And yet that's not the way we are called to handle conflict. We are meant to put ourselves, our concern for ourselves on the side. The, whether or not we win or lose, that, that that concern, that gets put off to the side. My well-being, my desire to, to guard myself from pain, all that stuff gets put off to the side. Because my life is not about me. It's about what brings God glory, not what brings me glory. The key trait of a peacemaker is being more concerned about God's glory than your own. And that God should be capitalized. I just apparently can't type or speak today. Um, And so that means I I need to live my life and enter into conflict situations without self-interest, without self-preservation, without a a sense of defending myself and my honor and my glory and what's fair and right to me. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very popular theologian, he wrote this. As long as you are thinking about yourself, shielding yourself, you cannot be doing the work of a peacemaker properly because you're always going to get defensive. You're always going to want to fight back, which means a peacemaker isn't somebody who's looking for a fight, by the way, because when you say peacemaker, my first thought is somebody who's like me, somebody who's going to roll over anytime there's going to be conflict. No, that's not it, but it's not somebody who's going in boxing gloves ready either, but it's, it, they definitely aren't somebody who's scared, Of conflict, because the only way you can find peace is if you get to the middle of that knot of Christmas lights. That's the only way. You gotta find the issue. You can't be scared about it. You can't run about it. You can't lie about it. You can't sugarcoat it. A peacemaker is somebody who wants to find the root of the issue and actually sort it out, find forgiveness, and find peace. And so a peacemaker is not somebody who's eager about it, but they're not scared of conflict. And a peacemaker is not somebody who runs from conflict. A lot of times, what I wanna do, that's just cowardice hiding itself off as being a peacemaker. And so a peacemaker is somebody whose main goal is true peace, rooting out all the anger, all the hostility, working towards total forgiveness, total reconciliation. The peacemaker's goal is absolute peace because peace reflects the goodness and the glory of God. Now, as a preacher, my desire is to say, here's three steps to fix all your conflict. I would love to be able to do that. I love three steps. I love it when there's alliteration, like they all start with the letter P or something like that. That would be even more satisfying to my heart. But because relationships are so messy and conflict is so varied, I can't do that. I don't know what your conflict is. I don't know what what relationships are broken in your life. I I don't know. So I can't really give you those three things. I did, however, find three little steps from this guy that are, are very helpful, things to keep in mind as you're going to try to be a peacemaker. As you're going to be somebody who tries to work out and bring peace to the conflicts of the relationships in your life. And just to say, the three, these three steps are only applicable if the wrong has been done to you. If you're the one who's guilty, if you've done something wrong, if you've hurt somebody, hopefully, after what we've talked about today, you've got the sense to be like, oh, I should probably apologize. I should probably swallow my pride, go make it right, go do what I can, And if they don't want to accept it, you did your best, and so on. But let's say that you're going to be like your heavenly father. They wronged you, and you're going to be the one who actively seeks peace. Here's three really, really good steps. First one's just genius. Step one, be quiet. Because if somebody is mad at you or hostile towards you or there's some break in the relationship, they're probably going to say some things that you don't love. They're probably going to insult you or say if you hadn't, or maybe say those uh, nice little passive-aggressive statements, you know, whatever it might be, and you just want to open your mouth and you you want to repay their evil words with more evil words. That doesn't help. That just doubles all the evil in the situation. So the first thing we do is we hold our tongue and we don't repay evil for evil when it is spoken at us. The second one, and this is where things really unlock, you view the situation through the lens of the gospel. Remember I said that all, situ- all, all this nastiness that exists between people is because we have a selfish human nature. We have this selfish flesh that has desires that are raging and battling within us. And so if you have a somebody in your life who is being rude, who is being belligerent, who is living according to what we would say is the flesh, you don't have to view them with anger or hatred. You need to view them with compassion. Because for Christians, we are, when Christ died on the cross, he he died to free us from that so that we aren't stuck living according to our desires and cravings anymore, but we can live for him and live a life that glorifies God. But if somebody hasn't accepted Christ, they're still tied to that human nature. And so you should have compassion that they are trapped in their sinful flesh. They are trapped living according to sin and the influence of Satan in their life. And so you don't respond in a hostile way to win the fight, that's not it. No, you respond with compassion that somebody is lost. You show them mercy and grace so that you can do everything, not just to repair the relationship between you and them, but to reconcile them to God as well. And when you can look at somebody who's just, they're, they're driven by the sin and the anger in their heart. Again, even if they're attacking you, as a Christian, you should be able to take a step back from that and understand there is something more spiritual at work here. And you don't need to respond with anger, but compassion. And then finally, serve them. And that's where it gets, I think, really hard. I don't know, be quiet's pretty hard for a lot of us. But to serve somebody who's constantly being rude, constantly being crude, constantly being hurtful, purposefully, intentionally, belligerently hurtful, that is very, very difficult But man, I I love that video that that Rick showed before because it it had some imagery that was very powerful. And you saw this picture of Christ on the cross, blood flowing from his hands and from his feet, the crown of thorns and blood running down his face. That's what it looks like to serve somebody who's hurting you. I mean, that's a very real picture of pain. And usually when it's fights like this and it's relational strife, the pain that you're going to feel is more internal and less on... uh, less apparent on the outside of your body but in those moments we think of the pain that Christ endured to reconcile the relationship He he, he endured the infliction of pain and whip upon whip upon whip nails in his hands and feet and people came by and spit on him and mocked him he was stripped naked and he was humiliated and he did not fight back in fact he prayed for the people that murdered him father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing compassion is what he poured out upon hostility. And that's what we are called to do. He is our example to follow so that we might be the human beings that God intended us to be when he created us, people who reflect the image that he put inside of us so that everywhere we go, we are shining the light and the goodness of God. And with all the times that you're going to try this. Hopefully you will try this. Again, it's going to be, people are going to be not know what to do. If somebody's mean to you and you do something nice back to them, they're going to think, what? Like, they're, if, you, if somebody's mean to you and you take them a pie, they're going to like, did you put like ex in it? Like, what's up with this? I don't, I'm not eating it. I'm throwing, I don't trust this. I'm th- there's like razor blades. or I'm throwing it in the trash. Like, like people, we're not going to know how to handle that because that's not what anybody's used to. It's so opposite of how our world operates anymore. People aren't going to know what to do. And even with your best efforts, efforts, sometimes they're not going to want to receive the reconciling work that you're going to try to do for them. But we are not called to fix every problem. We are called to, as much as it depends on us, to live at peace with all people. That is, we do as much as we can, and when we kind of hit a roadblock, and it's obvious I've tried, and they don't want it, it, or at least not right now, they're not ready for it, then you just say, okay, and you back away. And you hand it over to God, and you pray that he would keep working to bring reconciliation, because reconciliation is what honors and glorifies him. That's the ultimate work he's trying to bring about in our world. And so, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Um, one, because it makes your life a lot easier. You know how hard it is when you see somebody you're in a fight with at the grocery store, and then you got to try to avoid them for the rest of your trip? Like, it's just easier if you don't have to do stuff like that all the time. You know how much easier it is to plan a, a wedding if your kids don't have to worry about you not sitting next to the eight other people in the family that you don't get along with it's just easier when you have a, live peaceably with other people but also and more importantly because again and and, and especially if you're a christian i don't think this is optional we be live as a life of we live as a peacemaker because that reflects who our god is he is a peacemaker that's why he sent christ into the world to reconcile us to him so that our relationship with him might be repaired restored, and unbroken. And we're called to be agents of peace in the world each and every day. But how much more around the season when we we claim to celebrate love and selflessness and giving? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this example that you've shown us in Christ. I don't think anybody in this room wanted to hear this today, myself included, because when conflicts exist, it is easier to just walk away from it, to walk away from the person, to, to throw our hands up in the air and just say, well, this is just how life is now. And it might hurt a little bit that we don't, you know, do Christmas or Thanksgiving with them anymore or do a New Year's thing or whatever it might be. It might hurt a little bit, but, but it's easier than dealing with the conflict and maybe even apologizing or, or looking at the face that caused you so much hurt. But yet, we have a a greater example to follow than than what's just natural for us or easy for us. The example that you've set before us is, is a very high bar, and it's dying on a cross, dying to self. Jesus selflessly gave everything so that we could have a better mended relationship with him, an unbroken relationship with him, and an unbroken relationship with you as our father. And I just pray that, that we can understand the depth of his service to us, that though he was innocent and we were wrong, he took the action to, to knit the relationship back together and restore us to you. And I, I just, I hope that that gospel imagery never stops influencing us how we live our lives, whether that's in leading us to be you know, less prone to sin, more kind, more generous, more loving, but hopefully, at least in this area, where we would walk into the uncomfortable situations of conflict, not to fight, not to win, not to knock somebody down a few pegs, but to actually just restore what has been broken. And when we do that, Father, we are living out the calling you have placed in our life. And the reason peacemakers are called sons and daughters of God is because that's when we look the most like our Father, And I just pray, Father, that we wouldn't forget that. So help us to be peacemakers. Help us to not go through another holiday season just okay with what has become a new status quo, not talking to people, avoiding certain people and all that. But help us to bring reconciliation and to to some level of peace everywhere we go, actively seeking to bring peace with each step that we take. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.